Hello and welcome to page one, the Writers Podcast. I'm Marco. I'm Tarek. And wait, Tarek, who's this? Oh, it's Timmy. (laughs) (laughs) I've been released from the cupboard of dispatching page ones for a special appearance (laughs) on the page one podcast. (laughs) Tim, Tim is, you may have heard if you've listened to the podcast before, we have referred to the boss in quotes and Tim is that man. Or legend. The myth. I don't think we've called you legend. Ah, The man, the legend. I obviously haven't listened to all of them yet. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, no, uh, Tarek, this is one of a special series of episodes we've recorded at the Fringe with comedians to find out about their writing process for their stand-up shows. Um, And we recorded these at a variety of venues across Edinburgh. So the sound quality does vary at times. We, We sometimes recorded them at the venues themselves. But um, Tarek wasn't able to make all of the interviews, so Tim kindly agreed to step in. Interviewer extraordinaire. Yes, and I think, Tarek, you're out of a job. (laughs) I've been waiting 112 episodes for this day. (laughs) I'm finally free. (laughs) Well, you've not heard my ones yet, so we'll see see how that goes. We'll see how it goes with the listeners. But yeah, um, so uh, we will get uh, straight into these special episodes. We're releasing... Uh, at least one a day this week. They're very short uh, episodes, but hopefully very interesting and funny, of course. And we'll play a quick advert for a writer's notebook and then we'll get straight into the interview. But for now, on with the podcast. See you later. The blank page. To some, it's terrifying, an obstacle to overcome. But we prefer to think of it as an opportunity, a blank canvas to be filled with all of the adventures and characters in our head. So how to overcome that fear? Well, we all know the best advice for a writer is write. Seriously, get words on the page and more will follow. But what about later, when you start trying to pull those threads of what you've written together? What about the character you wrote about way back at the start? Who was she again? What was she carrying? And where did she leave the MacGuffin that she now really needs in the third act? Think about all those top thrillers you like to read. Or that amazing drama you just watched. What did they all have in common? Structure and planning. As aspiring writers ourselves, we've tried many different methods to try and organise all the thoughts about the stories we want to tell. We've been there searching for a piece of scrap paper to note something down, or making a quick note on our phone in between meetings. Or sometimes we'll make a note in whatever notebook we're carrying, or a document on our laptop so we don't forget that great idea. Let's be honest, it can all be a bit messy and it's easy to lose track of everything. And that's when we realised it's not just a story that needs structure and planning, but the way we gather all of our thoughts about it as well. And so we made Page One. Page One is more than just another notebook. It's a place to put down all your ideas for your latest project, divided into easy-to-use sections that will help you plan your story, so that when that blank page comes calling, you're ready to answer. And then afterwards, once it's written, we realised you need to plan how to let people read it, so we included a section relating to submissions. Each one is designed for one project, whether you want to write a book, screenplay, a comic or any other kind of story. We truly believe that when you use it, it will help you get to the main event, writing your story. So we hope this helps. We can't wait to read what you come up with. And remember, every story starts with page one.
Hi, and welcome to this special episode of Page One, the Writer's Podcast. I'm Marco. And I'm Tim. And we're joined today by Jessica Postecue. Uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, and uh, I always start these podcasts, well, normally if it's an author or something, I'll say, did you always want to be a writer? But mm. did you always want to be a comedian? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and But I think I always loved writing, actually. Okay. To, yeah, Excellent. I mean, feel free to treat me like a writer. Okay, no, no, no. <laughs> um, And I think my, like, it, it, my mum sort of hates the idea that I'm a stand-up. Not in a, that sounds cruel, but like she finds a sort of it, she can't think of a worse job, you know, Mm -hmm. so I'll tell her that I've got like a gig at the Royal Albert Hall and she'll go, I'm so sorry. (laughs) You know, whereas her dream for me is to end up writing. So whenever I get anything published or I get anything commissioned in terms of screenwriting, she's like, woo! You know, because that's that's really where she'd like like my career to go. Um, So yeah, no, I did always want to be a writer. Cool. Yeah. So, so what is it that led you into comedy then? What, what was that? So, um, do you know what? It was an open submission thing for BBC Three okay. when it was brand new. They did a thing called Finish This Sitcom. Mm. And I'd just finished a, um, a law degree and I had been... I think I already knew that I didn't want to be a lawyer enough. I realised it was the sort of job that you had to, it had to be your sole thing and your passion because it was so I mean, competitive. I feel your pain as a former lawyer. Okay, <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, and again, you know, so I've, I was floating around for a bit, you know, I was, I was managing a coffee shop and working in pubs and going travelling and having a, a great time, no regrets. Um, but yeah, uh, this competition came up where um, the first 10 minutes of a sitcom, I think, had been written, or you had to either write the first or the last 10 minutes right. of okay. a pre-existing premise right. that was already there. Um, and, um, yes, a a friend at the time who went on to be actually the father of my son, um, (laughs) um, said, do you want to have a go at that competition with me? And then other things came up. I got into, like, I wrote some sketches for something, went to see them performed, again, an open submission thing. And then there was some improv on at the same night, which I'd never seen live. Mm -hmm. And it was, I mean, looking back, probably pretty bad improv, actually. I was so so green, I was really impressed. (laughs) And asked if I could have a go at it. And it sort of went from there, I think. Because So there were comedy things that I was entering competitions, open competitions. But from a writer's perspective, interestingly, not as a performer. No, and actually sort of got there, watched them being performed and thought, I want to do that. Um, I had done bits of Amdram. Mm-hmm. But I think I thought, and I, the idea of a, a career as an actor or a, a stand-up was so pie in the sky, actually. <laughs> but, and, but, but I think what's interesting there is you, they are, if you don't, if you go into acting as somebody who writes their own work, you've got light years on actors who aren't yeah. up for that mm-hmm. or aren't able yeah, to do absolutely. that because you can make your own work and mm-hmm. that's the joy of stand-up really is mm-hmm. there's an element of meritocracy at least it's not just in the lap of the gods about who's who's got buzz about them yeah. or you know in terms of actually getting work made well you make your own work all the time yeah you, know, yeah, but you make it you do it you make it you do it you're yeah. not reliant like acting and all these other things when you're when you're a stand-up though you're kind of so if you're if you're writing prose or something like that then you're kind of set apart from your audience in mm-hmm. a way uh, until you know it becomes a bestseller or whatever but um you're being judged almost immediately i suppose as yeah a you feel like a very basic bitch yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah and not just judged like if they laugh out loud or they don't yeah you know yeah, exactly. it, like it's and, and i think actually when you're creating shows like we're doing up here there's a bit more to it mm-hmm. um obviously i think the success of, of a comedy show should always hinge 
even in these strange days on whether it's funny or not yeah. like ultimately but there is you can also take satisfaction from moments where you know your narrative mm-hmm. went on the journey it wanted you know you wanted yep. it to you that the intent you know was behind each section i mean i think and inc- certainly for me and i think for a lot of us now as comedians an enormous amount of work goes into an hour of stand-up above and beyond yeah. jokes in a row there are different styles um but you know, uh, most of us now work with a director to make sure there's yeah. some kind of yeah. structure and you, a journey to go on in the same way that you would, not in the same way, it's different, but in a similar way to how you would write something narrative. Yeah, it's not just a series of one-liners. Yeah. So how would you traditionally, well, how, maybe it's different now if you've got a director, but how would you go about writing a new routine then, say for a show up here at the Fringe? So a new routine in terms of a new bit of stand-up, I just let that come to me and I make notes in my phone every time I have a small idea around something. And all there needs to be in that is the seed of something interesting, perhaps mm-hmm. a bit of conflict, the same way you'd look at, I think, writing anything. Um, you know, uh, the cicadas, the uh, mismatch expectation, yeah. anything as small as that. Yeah. And then my process is to then take it as a story on stage and then actually it takes me quite a long time to move away from the truth to the funniest version of that thing right, that's a right, standard. Okay. Um, if you meant how do you start the process of looking at forming a whole show, um, I don't work very well with writing to a theme. I've made those errors. Mm, yeah. 2012, for example, a whole show <laughs> on etymology, um, which was, you know, I really enjoyed it at the time, but it was a really rookie stand-up. And, and actually it's a very still, t- it's a quite a stifling way of going about making mm-hmm. an hour of comedy. Um, so I'd rather see what stand-up I've come out with anyway. I'm lucky in the sense that I write autobiographically pretty much when mm-hmm. it comes to stand-up, right. um, not necessarily other things. But um, so I see what themes naturally emerge. Um, and then you're often asked to say what your show's going to be about a long time before your show's anywhere near finished. So you sort of have to go on, go on the themes that have emerged by, if the show's for August, by about February. <laughs> so, um, and, and almost, my last two shows, this show and my last show for sure, by the time I've got up here, is a show about something else. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yes, you, you see what emerges naturally and then you play into that. And yeah. then you try and... Um, make those themes richer and more involving and you make sure that you're a twists and turns and that you can go you go from one position to a new position within that story of that show etc etc and and are you with these stories are you taking them out are you testing them are you yeah. working on them honing them before with the sort of august in mind yeah i do I'm, yeah. Work, I'm a workhorse like i really 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 right okay um and especially as somebody who with stand-up needs to write on stage. I mean, I sitting down with a pen and paper is not something I don't do, mm. um, but it's I find that a very hard way. I can unpick little problems yeah. like that, but in terms of, like, is this or isn't this going to fly? Yeah. And, mm. and the, it's the shower moments, it's that, as opposed to sitting down, yeah. like you would write almost anything else with stand-up. It almost, it really, because you've got the constant variable of the audience. Yeah. And, I mean, I've been doing it since... 2008 and I still now will have these ideas with pen and paper and think that is gold and then find out in reality it just doesn't land and you know there's no way of selling it and actually sometimes you need to try 10 times oh there is that way of selling it you throw it away or you or you put it in the context of this or you you know you give us more specific example to make your point or whatever Mm -hmm. yeah so do you leave breathing space within your kind of your writing of a show for 
improv and taking feedback from the audience? Or Absolutely. You... Yeah. 100%. Otherwise, I would almost argue it's not stand-up. Yeah, okay. It's a conversation stand-up, even if the audience is part of that conversation, yeah. is yeah. only laughter. Um, and so if you're delivering something entirely scripted, mm-hmm. I, I find that's a kind of comedy quite hard to yeah. watch. Yeah. I, and what's fantastic are the comedians who have nailed the pretense. I mean, I have set pieces which, you know, most people can tell must be written if they stop to think about it. But why would they ruin it for yeah. themselves? <laughs> like that. I came away from watching Mark Watson last night, who's like, it was a masterclass. And, um, and I, as I walked out with the audience, I overheard um, a family saying to one another, how much of that do you think he'd written? And one of them went, absolute max 5%. And I thought, oh my God, that's so funny. <laughs> it's all written, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Twits, but yeah. how joyful that he yeah. was yeah. mastered yeah, that. Yeah. I mean, Absolutely. and that's the greatest compliment to be able to yeah. really lay back. And that's where the performance the sells it, doesn't yeah. it? It sells yeah. the writing of it. Yeah, because so, yeah. Yeah, that's the other difference in writing, I suppose, that it seems to me anyway, is that it's not just about, even if you were to write it out, it's not about just the words, it's it's the delivery, it's the timing, it's mm-hmm. the... it's taking in what the audience are like and knowing how to deliver it for that particular audience presumably yeah. as well. Um, and one thing we have been asking the other guests as well is obviously the dreaded hecklers. Mm-hmm. How do you do? Do you have prepared things to say to hecklers or do you just off the cuff? No, when I first started stand-up a million years ago, I thought you had to have some yeah. pre- prepared put-downs. But actually heckling isn't that bigger thing anymore and I think right. especially up here I mean weekends aside occasionally yes. I would never do a sh- I'm, I've am i put too much work into my show to make too much time so there's not much spare time yeah. for those conversations <laughs> I, I don't mind a little bit of interaction but yeah. I'd rather genuinely be on the hoof and prepared for uh, you know not you know prepared in the head but not you yeah. know with anything written to say back to anyone um, but yeah I think generally up here people realise they're going to see something that's that doesn't require them (laughs) to do anything other than sit back and relax and hopefully have a nice time. Yeah. yeah. Cool. I think that's when we're audience, maybe where the fringe differs is that that people maybe view it as a bit, it's it's more of a structured show rather than just going to a comedy night at a comedy club where it's maybe, you might be testing out jokes for a kind of particular show. Yeah. I guess, so yeah, you probably get a different audience coming you know, to a fringe show. Yeah, do you, do you, feel do you know that? what? And I think you ask for different things at different times. There are certain venues, there are certain locations. You know, if you're on the Cowgate or ironically even the Pleasance Courtyard, I think you get rowdy weekends. Mm-hmm. You get sort of stagnant hendies mm-hmm. like you'd get. So if you're not doing club comedy and you're on after, I'd say even about 6 pm in those yeah. places, you, you're in trouble. Yeah, and yeah. those acts know it. Whereas yeah. I wouldn't do a show past 5 pm, yeah. I don't think. Yeah. Um, or in either of those places. <laughs> that's, that's, that's <laughs> And and you've also written for shows like Mock the Week and things like that. Um, Rest in peace. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, is that well? First of all, what is that? That's presumably a more collaborative process, is it? Or are you no, submit, or is it submitting stuff to them? No. So my experience has been writing not for the shows per se, but for an individual. Oh, okay. Show. Right. Yeah. Okay. So they will send me the brief that they get, and I'll put together a document of jokes for them okay um but it's different on different shows there are times where i've written on things you know um in a writer's room where you have say four or five of you putting things together Mm -hmm. for but almost always for an individual on that show yeah Mm -hmm. i've never it's much rarer to write for somebody's stand-up directly but i have done that as well yeah yeah and is that's more collaborative yeah well i was going to say is that 
do you, do you bounce the ideas off each other in that in that sort of situation? Yeah, maybe? you'd have to really, yeah. and I think you can tell when people have used a writer and they've not done that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, I think it's a really touchy subject. I think using writers, I would never use a writer to help me with my standard. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, I think. Yeah, I don't know. I don't want to do a disservice to any of the people who are doing it. There's a really, I think it's almost, it's quite accepted that if you're working at a point where you're doing lots of topical panels and stuff like that, mm-hmm. you're inevitably going to need help just mm-hmm. to consume the amount of news yeah. you have to read, uh, the yeah, amount of sure. whatever. Yeah. The prep is massive. And if you're doing that stuff all the time, I don't know how anyone would do it yeah. on their own and keep the quality high. And it's not the case of necessarily getting, I've, there are comedians I've written for who wouldn't take a punchline from me, but they take an angle on a story. Right. right. And right. I think okay. that's where I. I'd go the level yeah. of help. Yeah. I was going to say because otherwise well you'd have to do a lot of research into each. You know, you you'd presumably know them, but to really get their kind yeah, of tone of voice and how they would oh, deliver a punchline. So. There, there are some comedians I've written for so so many times that actually it's a joy to have learned their tone of voice yeah. and be able to go, oh, this is something they'd say, but I wouldn't say. Yeah. And some of them where you think I'm going to give them this because I know it's going to make them laugh, but I know they'd never say it. Or <laughs> never make the edit. Like that stuff is fun. Yeah. <laughs> And you yourself has a, have appeared on on some panel shows like yeah. QI and things. I mean, is the preparation for something like that different from a stand up show? Yeah, completely yeah, different. It's a yeah. completely different skill set. Right. Okay. Um, and the last one of those I did, there was no audience because it was right in the middle of the oh, pandemic, okay. and it was hard. Yeah, okay. So mm. we were just trying to make other comedians laugh, which is, yeah. I mean, <laughs> fun, but you know, it's not really yeah. the um, it's not the goal, is it? It's not. No. Really, no, too niche. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that was really tricky. But but no, the prep. I mean, the prep is different for each show, but with QI specifically, at the moment, at the time of answering the question, I think I'm allowed to be honest about that, but they give you an option. You know, you're mm-hmm. allowed to have no prep if you want. Right. You're allowed to have everything. Oh, God, I probably shouldn't say that. It's all right. You're like, allowed gradients yes, of prep okay. yeah. for uh-huh. different yeah. and for QI. Um, and um, most people go for none or really minimal, mm. uh, me included, because it actually... It's a rookie error to go in there with a pile of notes. Yeah. You really, you really, it's much more fun, and you end up being a lot more funny if you're prepared to be. It goes back to that thing of, yeah. of, of writing the whole thing out or not. Yeah, yeah. The thing, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. So, if you were looking to give, like, if you were trying to like break into that that kind of style of comedy writing, maybe for others mm. or th- panel shows, like, would you need? Would you necessarily need an agent, or how, how would you kind of get into that world? Gosh, it's really interesting. My, uh, the only way I know of Into That World is either through, you've ended up in comedy writing through a scheme, an apprenticeship, you mm. know, your bursary, one of those mm-hmm. routes, or you are a newer stand-up. And I think what happens quite a lot is a more experienced stand-up will work with someone in the middle spot, right. okay. be like, gosh, I can tell they've got real writing mm-hmm. chops. And it, it, it's, um, I mean... <sighs> I don't know. Is it? It's a real leg up. I mean, there's so little money in live work now as a stand up yeah. until you're working at a certain level, yeah. where ironically you're getting money from radio and telly anyway. Yeah. Yeah. That um, that there's this wonderful grey area in the UK mm. where you can be. There was a long time where I was being employed. Most of my earnings were coming from more successful yeah. comedians. And mm-hmm. so that's the way to do it. And I always thought, gosh, I will make sure I pay that forward yeah. Yeah. and keep an eye on who's writing mm-hmm. I'm enjoying yeah. so that when I'm in a position to need help with something, I can ask those three people if they'll, what their fears for a half day and they'll read yeah. 15 news stories for so me. So it's really about models. just getting your work mm-hmm. out there so that others like yourself can find you and, and then maybe work with you in the future. Absolutely. Yes, yeah. okay. Yeah. And so, I mean, 
we've sort of talked around it, but you want to tell us a bit about your show this year? Yes, yeah, so uh, my show is called Wench, um, and I thought I was going to. I found out it's going to be. I didn't find out. I um I very much organised to be single, um for the first time in, in nearly a decade, <laughs> a few years ago now, and um I thought, oh well, my last show is called Hench. I'll call this show Wench because I plan to do <laughs> quite a lot of fun. Um, annoyingly, fell in love within about two months. Um, so instead, it's ended up being a show. Actually, about the sort of, I think the shifting sands of um, my sexuality fundamentally changed about four years ago. And it's about um, a shift in identity like that at a point in time where it feels like society is more obsessed with identity than ever and your choices feel more loaded than ever. So it's an exploration of that, essentially. Cool. Yeah. Interesting. It's been really fun to write. Those yeah. weren't the themes I expected to come up. I yeah. thought we'd just be talking about. You know, all the fingering I did in bins as a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's ended up being, uh, luckily, actually, a fair bit more nuanced. <laughs> and where and when can people see the show? It's on every day at Monkey Barrel 1 at 4.45 until the 28th, except for not the 15th. Excellent. <laughs> and the final thing that we've been asking everyone is, um, and we kind of touched on it earlier, what is your worst or your best heckle that you've had? Um, my favourite heckle I've ever had, it wasn't me that received it, I was at a gig, uh, I was a new comedian, I was on in the middle, and the headliner, everybody was, uh, the headliner was a bit of a big head, everybody was having a terrible gig, it was in essentially an old people's home in the evening, <laughs> um, they'd stopped for a long hour and a half to have a curry buffet, halfway through the show. <laughs> Not one joke had landed. Their people were so old in the audience. And the headliner kept saying, you wait, you wait. I, I've been going for 13 years. I know how to play any gig. And he kept saying how, how well he was going to do. And so obviously when he absolutely stanked the gig out, everyone else was <laughs> delighted. And he got my favourite heckle of all time. He played to silence for about 10 minutes. And then this lady, who must have been over 100, just shouted, when's the raffle? <laughs> <laughs> That's my favourite. I like it. Well, uh, thanks very much for for coming on. Thanks for having me.